Welcome to episode 42 of Polyamory Uncensored, which I'm calling Life, the Universe, and Everything. This is a special episode where I combed through a lot of our saved audio in search of the best advice given by some of our guests and from us. I also threw in some silly bloopers and things that made us giggle just for fun. Hope you enjoy the variety of awesome and helpful advice our guests have given us over the past year of podcasting. We're working on a lot of new polyamory uncensored projects and content, so stay tuned as we delve into the good, the bad, the ugly, and the just plain complicated truths of our poly lives. Do you have any advice that you would give folks that are monogamous or identify as like a serial monogamous but want to get out of that cycle that are maybe interested in polyamory but don't know maybe where to start? Do you have any advice as someone who's beginning their journey? Well, listen to this podcast, <laughs> for sure. Start Absolutely. from the beginning and just listen and listen to to people talk about how, you know, this has changed their lives for the better. And, um, you know, I think seeking out a community of people who are living in a way that is different from you. I mean, that's, I think being cultured is just good at all. Um, but to do this, you know... As somebody who it's like, yeah, I know this isn't working. Well, how do I find something that does work? You have to talk to people. You have to immerse yourself in the community and um, just learn about it and and sort of see how it and be open to try to see how it might fit into your life. Um, I say an open mind, an open heart, and you know, open ears. Just listen to people and and just be open to possibilities that this could be for you too topic that you wanted to talk about today was sex <laughs> let's talk, talk about, about sex baby <laughs> let's talk about uh, you and, and me and you and you <laughs> we like to say the only no risk sexual practice is masturbation and even then you could hurt yourself <laughs> like, so. so how has polyamory led you to explore more um sexual experiences i mean it makes sense right you get to have more people in your life right exactly and being able to how do i want to say this (laughs) i wish that the people listening could see the smile on your face it's so great you clearly have something delicious i love being able to explore the variety and the uniqueness of each sexual relationship and what one person enjoys sexually in bed like might not be what another person does and just being able to explore that and for myself like getting my needs met in different places instead of I mean my least favorite thing in the world is obligation and Mm -hmm. I do not want to do something sexually with someone if they're not into it like you are not going to like it (laughs) I am not going to like it like Mm -hmm. don't do it for me do it because you want to because this excites you and if it doesn't then I'll I'm going to look over here. That's my biggest complaint about Dan Savage, actually. Like, the good giving in game idea. Like, Hmm. okay, you know what? If you want to try something that you don't know whether you're going to like it or not, and your partner really wants to, like, okay, good. I will let you try something that you maybe even think, like, I don't know once right but like because you don't know unless you you try try it and then you're not into it like we are never going to do that thing again because it is not fun for me if it is not fun for you right right do you have anything that you, you grew up with that's so vastly different that you wanted to like 
mention or or just mentality wise i guess the mentality that's different is that it's good to to live your life for pleasure it's a good thing and um i guess they would say uh fun is the goal and love is the way is is a is a fun slogan for them. That's cute. So kind of keeping that with me is a is a good thing, too. A mantra. Or good yeah. mantra. Yeah. <laughs> good perspective. I was wondering if you had any advice for people that are coming out. Um, <laughs> I have I have a lot of conflicting advice for people <laughs> who are coming out. Part of me is like, do it, do it as soon as you can or as soon as you're ready. And another part of me is like, you know, if you don't want to, that's also fine. Yeah. <laughs> you don't have to. Um, just, just don't do it before you're comfortable. And if you're out it, I'm so sorry. I'm sorry. That sucks so much. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I mean, that's, that's it really. Just if you're, if you're going to do it, be ready because there's no way to anticipate whether people are going to have questions and what kind of questions they're going to have. So if you know that you're coming out to people who have like very strict religious beliefs like mine and you feel that they're going to attack you as soon as you come out, like just make sure that you're ready and that you know that it's worth it and that you are prepared to defend yourself because you may have to. Yeah. All right. Do you have any other advice before we wrap things up? Any other notes you'd like to bring up? <laughs> um, oh, well, I was connected with um, the the question of safety, the issue of safety and uh, safety concerns and talking about safe words and consent and the fact that um, there there can be different levels of consent that you should reach for when people talk about high context, low context consent. They're talking about people who aren't so familiar, people who are newer to the scene or that you've never played with before. And that is particularly, I mean, you should always have, I mean, this is my personal belief. You should always have some level of communication about the scene before you go in. Now it might be the week before so that that night, as you're going into like this dramatic, maybe role play scene or something that you can just go ahead and start. Ideally, you know, you still check in to make sure everybody's in a good headspace, but there should always be communication before a scene, in my opinion. But if you've been playing with someone for decades, for years, um, if if there's been a lot of communication, if there's been a, a high amount of context, then you've got kind of an understanding of consent. Um, if you've been with your your husband or wife for a decade, you kind of know what that look means. You're like, oh, I'm getting some tonight. Mm-hmm. Or no, I'm not. <laughs> You're like, we have this this very high level of context and understanding of what this means. And body language plays into it and historical events play into it. And when you don't have that, when you have a low context for consent, it is even more important to um, have that communication, have that that introduction where you find out what this person likes, what is a, on a level of one to 10 of, of pain that, or sensation that they're looking for, what is a level one for them? Because if they just say, well, I like to start off soft. Mm -hmm. What does that mean to you? What does that mean to them? It's very subjective. So it's important to test that out, to, to take your time with these things. And, you know, personally, I think talking about what you want to do to someone, what you would like to have done to you is actually pretty damn hot. It certainly can be. Yeah. I think for me in general rule, and this is like a general, all rules are there for safety. Like the whole point, I think that people make rules and laws in general societally 
is for safety, mm-hmm. right? With the safety in mind. Um, and I think that's true in poly as well. People want to feel safe and secure, which is why you find them at the beginning. I don't think it's bad to have, I call them training wheels. I think a lot of people do. <laughs> that's fair, yeah. Um, I don't think it's bad to have training wheels because when it falls and you bust your knee, it kind of hurts. Like that, that, that fucking sucks. Um, and you learn. <laughs> and, you, and you learn, but you also maybe are less likely to get back on that bike. Right. Um, and I think that can be the case. And if case. you fall and there were training wheels, right. you might not fall and crash as hard. Right. Um, or you might look at the training wheels and be like, wow, those aren't working. What What do I need to change? Maybe I'm not a bicycle person. Maybe I need to go get myself a scooter. <laughs> right. right. Um, or what if I just tried one training wheel? Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Maybe um, then I could learn a little better balance. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So I can, I can see the utility of them because, again, I... I think all rules and and laws are for safety. Um, That being said, as soon as you tell me no, (laughs) and I think that's true for lots of people, as soon as you tell me no. Rules are meant to be broken. Like I look at the speed limit, I'm like, okay, 50, huh? Okay, so I'm going 55. Like, and that's just my mentality. I think that's most people. Oh, I also wanted to bring up how often people make rules on things they have no control over whatsoever. Like I had a different coworker said, you know, we're opening up a relationship, but we're not falling in love. That's our rule. Oh, and luck. I was like, and I literally looked looked at them and I was like, well, you can't make a rule. Uh, you have no control over that and you're going to break that. Yep. And they were like, what? No, not at all. And then six months later, you told me I was going to do this. And sure enough, yep, <laughs> fell in love and immediately. You were prophetic yeah. once again. <laughs> no, and I mean, I think in general, first of all, I fall in love a little bit with everybody I meet. Mm-hmm. That's just the kind of person I am. It's it's why I'm an educator. It's why I'm, uh, I have the community that I do. And I think it's, more than naive to think that you have any control over that. I fall in love with book characters. Oh, like, yeah. Oh, my come God, on. Yeah. And I'm not going to fall in love with a living, breathing human being. Fuck you. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, Especially after there's been, like, intimacy developed between yeah. me and them. Of course I am. Like, and, and yeah. I know my love language. My love language is touch. If mm-hmm. I fuck them, I'm probably in love with them. Because mm-hmm. that's just how I work. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's, yeah, that's super naive. Um, but I think that comes back to the idea that people will try to make rules to have control over the situation, but then... And for safety in an emotional safety, sense. Yeah. Like, yeah. I am afraid of how I will feel if you fall in love with someone else. Mm-hmm. So we just won't. Because mm-hmm. that, that's going to take away from the pie. That's, right. I'm going to have less pie <laughs> if I give your pie to somebody else. <laughs> and I like pie. Mm-hmm. I want all the pie. I want all the pie. You can't give your pie to somebody. Mm-hmm. All right. So do you have any advice to people who are newly poly? Or who are maybe thinking about it? Trying to figure out how this might look in their lives. Do as much reading and listening as you can, and then don't take everything you read or hear as dogma, you know? Take it as a way to get take bits of useful information that might work for you. I guess also focusing on, focus on your existing relationship and what you want out of that, right? And strengthening that and making sure that is what you want. And then you'll find that it, uh, new relationships just open up and are much easier to navigate. And then the only other thing that I think I haven't mentioned yet is take it slow. I think when I was trying to embrace being polyamorous, I would read and then and decide, okay, this is the right way to do things. We should implement that right away. And so you know, we both need to be independent. And so we don't need to check in about dates. We can date as many people as we want. We can do whatever we want with, with the however many people as we want. And I think allowing yourself to take things slow 
and try to adjust to the new sort of reality of your relationship incrementally is okay. Even if, even if at first you have to do things that maybe aren't good practice long-term, maybe you do a little bit more sort of permission or checking in or discussion about, you know, dating other people at first that, and that might be okay. Um, as long as you're not making that permanent, as long as it's the intention is to move towards something that that's going to work long term and that's really healthy and ethical. I think, I think it's okay to, to ask your partner to take things slow. And that's probably something I didn't do as much as I think I should have. And if it's something that you like me were not super thrilled about at first, realize that you're going to be uncomfortable and that that's okay. And don't have the goal of, of setting up agreements or boundaries so that you never feel uncomfortable because then you're never going to sort of grow and, and change the way that you want to, to have, to structure your relationship, become accustomed to, okay, we're going to do this thing. It might be uncomfortable, but we're going to see how it feels. Lean into the discomfort. Yeah. And say, this may feel uncomfortable. Let's see how it feels. Oh, it wasn't that bad. Or, oh, I'm getting, you know, more comfortable with it and, and, and even enjoying it. And so that, that I think would be, is something I would recommend to people. Yeah. Do you have anything else to add about self-care and self-compassion or any advice to share with our poly listeners? Um, I think it's just going back to the definitions of both those words is be patient with yourself and learn yourself I guess would be a really good thing to say learn yourself what you need what your style is like I don't mean like clothing style but like that too like learn your style (laughs) um learn what your style of life and like the rhythm of your life is um learn yourself that could be socially that could be just like what you like to do in your free time that could be sexually that could be anything learn yourself and take care of yourself I think it would just be to round that off. Yeah. Makes a lot of sense. If you go to one therapist and they suck, you have to treat therapy like you're dating. You're not just going to go on one date and be like, well, I guess I'm celibate. Yeah. yeah, I can't be in relationships. Like every therapist is different. We all have different styles. They're all human. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. (laughs) There are some who are going to stigmatize more and there are some who are going to be manipulative and controlling and that's awful and I really can't stand it that there are people like that in the same field doing the same work and then there are those of us who are just really compassionate and want to meet you where you are and uh, have been through similar circumstances and have gone through similar struggles and who want to just kind of be there on your journey and shine a light on your path um, on potential paths and you know, see which one you want to go down and be with you as you go down that path. Um, and then hand you some skills along the way. Cause if that's what, if there's one thing that therapists are good at, it's handing out skills. Mm-hmm. You know, we have so, we have such great resources and all different kinds of theories and all different styles. And um, it's about finding somebody that's right for you. I also wanted to ask you guys if you had any advice for other people out there who either are dating or are dating folks that are of 
uh, have an, an age discrepancy between the them and their partner, like if you've if you've faced any adversity because of this, and uh, yeah, any advice that you guys might have. I the first thing I probably think of is that uh, most of the issues probably more inside your own head than anyone mm-hmm. else. Uh, most people don't really care. Or notice. <laughs> yes. Sure. Uh, I don't. I don't really feel like people see us going out in public and think, "Ew," but it's it's about being comfortable, I guess, with yourself and not worrying about what other people think, and also the kind of people that would be judgmental about it are usually the kind of people that you should ignore anyway. Yeah, you don't need those in your life. Yeah. Sure. So. So I mean, I guess what I would say is, if you are happy, uh, healthy safe, consenting, all of those, you know, wonderful relationship words that are essential in any relationship, then, you know, if that's what's, what's doing it for you, then do it. Yeah. So it's mostly try not to worry about what other people think and be as comfortable as you can with in your own skin and with each other and be honest with each other. And most of it's just basic self-care and relationship care. Mm-hmm that uh, might have that little extra like uh, toggle in your brain that triggers you to worry or think about it. And, you know, it, I had that quite a bit early on. And as we've gotten closer and more comfortable and the relationships developed, it's, you know, it used to be a loud or at least an annoying voice. And now it's just barely a squeak. Stay positive. Hi. Hi. <laughs> we have another guest. She did not like long-distance relationships where we were on a different floor. <laughs> that is, some everyone's definition of long-distance is a little bit different. That's yes. true. When you're two, it's very Right, short. out of sight is long-distance. Absolutely. So what you were giving advice and talking about other things that are self-care to survive long-distance. Um, yeah. Write down your feelings, start a journal, even if you're not going to share those you still have to get your feelings out and they're still real still still write them down still get them out still do all that um spend time with as many friends as possible because alone time is great too much is not good so do that (laughs) all communication is not created equal (laughs) <laughs> would you like to elaborate on that <laughs> well i mean there's there's talking there's facetime there's texting there's a million ways to communicate but depending on your relationship different communication styles different communication methods mean more like you know i can text him funny memes all day that doesn't mean i've actually shared anything yeah. but or you know we can facetime and See, look what I did. I repainted the living room. And he goes, ah. But, um, <laughs> not your house. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you can come back in three years and paint it again. Years. Right. Uh, hey, he's got his house. Most guys have a cave. He's got an entire house. Mm-hmm. So he can paint it whatever color he wants, which is now beige. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and I painted the living room red. But, yeah, whatever. It's a good thing he has his own house. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes, it is. Um, remember that you're not alone. Lots of people have long distance relationships and it works a lot of the time. It doesn't work all the time, but no relationship work o- works all the time. So it's not necessarily the distance that's the problem. So, and then 
when you do have time together, make it matter. Make it worth it. Do something special. Do, you know, so that you can enjoy each other's company. And said, yeah, last weekend we got together and we did this or whatever. I think that finding what communications medium works for you or what mm-hmm. media work for you is really important advice because it's not going to be the same for everybody. Mm-mm. So do you have any advice on uh, on cultivating your commitment garden? Which is totally what I'm calling the episode. <laughs> I love that. I, I think I would say, number one, to maybe not be too afraid. Being able to let things become what they're going to become can be scary. I think because we have the the normal idea that society kind of puts out of the escalator of, well, this is what success looks like. And if you're not within these parameters, then it's not successful. And what have you done? (laughs) My mom sent me a funny text the other day. A family member is moving in with their significant other. And she was like, oh, I guess it's getting real serious now. And I was like, so is that the, the parameter for being like in a serious relationship is you have to cohabitate? And she kind of joked back, like, well, yeah, of course. And so I was like, okay, good to know. So I need a much bigger house. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And I I just thought that was funny. And it's just like you don't – it doesn't have to look like what you maybe expect it to or sometimes maybe from what you want it to. And to give it the space and the communication and the patience for it to become what's going to work out for everyone involved. And sometimes – I don't know. I'm, I'm th- now I'm actually thinking back to my garden this year and I planted too many pumpkins and they just absolutely took over and then they all died. And now everything else is just exploding. And I've got all of these real cool caterpillars and bugs and stuff. And it's just been so fun, even though I had no idea what I was doing. And I totally messed up, messed up a couple things just to watch it grow and become its own thing and to maybe not feel like you failed because you planted too many pumpkins or you focused too much on one thing or you know it's okay to have caterpillars because those ones are going to turn into some pretty neat butterfly things so just letting it be and being able to be open to what it what it becomes and to not get too bogged down in well this commitment has to be xyz or the future has to be xyz and if you're not part of that if you don't fit into this idea then it's not there is no future right yeah or you know just just because we can't date doesn't mean we can't play D &D. (laughs) like there's there's always something and that's the disclaimer I usually give on things like that is like that that doesn't mean that you always keep toxic people or something in your life. There are people that you have to say, no, I need to walk away from you. But with the people that are good people, just because they're not a good significant other or just because they're not a good friend or good whatever it is, doesn't mean that they can't be a great something else in your life. And being willing to explore that can can take guts and courage and communication but i've found that by and large it's pretty worth it being consciously aware of my issues and what i need has changed how i relate to my partners because it makes me more conscious of when i need to be around people when i need to be around groups when i need to take time for myself and it's made me have to work even more on the communication 
some of my partners I have great communication with. There's one where it's not as good at this point, just because we were kind of in two different places, though we're, we both like each other quite a bit, obviously. But it you really have to know who you are before you can properly engage in any type of relationship. And so that's been a positive step forward in my poly journey. So is there anything, um, any advice that you would like to give to either people who have mental health issues or their partners? Mm-hmm. Um, for the people with mental health issues, I don't necessarily recommend taking my path of telling everyone anywhere you meet, <laughs> but find the people you can trust, whether it's a partner, a parent, a friend, a coworker. It doesn't matter. Finding someone you can talk to that you trust that's not going to judge you, but that will be open-minded enough to listen to you and believe you. And if you are someone who's a partner to someone with mental health issues, just talk to them, ask. And it's also, we don't always know what we need, whether we have mental health issues or not. That's a huge thing with my spouse and myself is she's gotten to this wonderful point where she'll talk to me like, something doesn't feel right in me. I don't know what it is yet, but I'm going to figure it out in about 10 minutes. If we can talk, that would be great. But and like I've talked to another friend of mine yesterday who has incredibly severe depression issues. Um, and I reminded her you know anytime you need to you can reach out to me even if it's just to say hey i feel really lousy and i don't know what to do about it and i just needed someone to know that i feel that way because sometimes that all it is having someone else know what you're going through can make all the difference in the world um i talked to some people in the programs and something as simple as that kept someone from trying to kill themselves it is a powerful powerful statement of just that someone cares about you so just care be open I was also wondering if you have any advice for people who are thinking about being foster parents? Yeah, um, in general or as poly individuals, I guess. I imagine most of our audience is poly individuals, so they probably <laughs> will be coming at it from that uh, perspective. Yeah, but, but also in general, I guess, maybe. Um, I think one of the things, or I guess a couple of the things that we definitely did right um, that I would kind of steer people in that direction is making sure we went with an LGBT um, friendly agency so we knew ahead of time that um, they were already totally willing to license homosexual individuals um, that they worked well with um, other LGBT organizations were supportive Mm -hmm. of the youth um, that kind of thing so I think that helped yeah Um, And also, we did get a little scolding, actually, because we weren't um, open from the beginning. Hmm. So one of their things they told us was that they totally got it, why we weren't open from the beginning, Um, but that on their part, if we don't bring it up, and then it looks like we're hiding something. Yeah. Um, And it's just something that in court someone else can say you know like well they were hiding it so obviously they were ashamed of it yeah obviously something is wrong versus if we had come out um at the very beginning with all of you know the research we came in with and everything else um no one would be able to do that in court right right um they really encouraged us you know and they kind of were like you have to be open with us from Mm -hmm. now on you know Mm -hmm. um please don't try to hide things. We want to work with you. And Right. Did they understand that, like, Polly isn't protected in any way? Yeah, like, um, it's a little bit more, <laughs> it's, like, harder than just being queer, obviously, because that yeah. is kind of protected. Yeah, they definitely <laughs> t- 
um, more like understanding of why we didn't come out. Um, but we're just kind of like, this is why you should have. Um, mm-hmm. That makes sense. Yeah. So I think that um, also definitely making sure I think going into fostering um, these kids already have like a, a lack of stability in their life. And so making sure that your agency is going to protect you, that when they place kids in your home, that it's kids that aren't going to have, you know, be removed possibly because of this to as much of an extent as they can. Um, And not introducing people in a very significant way to these children that are going to leave very quickly because they have had so many adults come in and out of their lives. Yeah. So... Identifying as polyamorous versus polyamory as a verb, doing polyamory. And this is a question that people are asking in polyamorous, like especially online polyamory forums all the time. Do you identify as polyamory as your orientation and your identity or are you doing polyamory? And I do think that that answer can be yes for, for different people, right? I personally, personally identify as polyamorous It is who I am, whether I'm dating six people or whether I'm dating one. Um, Or none. Or none, exactly, right? Um, So you can be single and polyamorous. I think it is, for me, more of a mindset. And so when people say, well, what you're doing isn't polyamory. uh, Sure, I guess if you're in a monogamous relationship, what you are doing, the verb, is a monogamous relationship. But you as a person can always be polyamorous, just as if... A person is bisexual and they're dating only a person of you know their gender or a different gender it doesn't actually matter it doesn't change who you are inside or if they're dating no one right um so when it comes to people in the community questioning people identity policing people i really i frown on that i guess i, I try to prevent people from being like well you're not poly because you don't do xyz or well this makes you a swinger because of x y and z and i think we we covered it a bit in um the last episode where you do kind of want to jump on those people a little bit because they're doing it so differently than you and you're like but we have rules (laughs) it means you know polyamory means loving more and what you're doing doesn't isn't my definition of it right But I think you kind of have to step back a bit and be like, hey, everyone is on their journey. And maybe if they start a different place than you or a more problematic place than you, it doesn't necessarily mean that that's where they're going to be forever. So when I see people say unicorn hunting, that is a problematic space, in my opinion. And oftentimes it's the first place that people start when they open up their relationship. And it's not the last place that they end. So not often. Um, So I feel like people grow, people change. And people do grow and change in and out of polyamory as well. Like they'll sometimes become monogamous. They'll sometimes change their identity or their the way that they do relationships. So I don't know if there are minimum requirements. Well, I think I would say maybe I have one or two ideas for minimum requirements. And the minimum requirement for if you consider yourself polyamorous, polyamorous is that you consider yourself polyamorous and the same way like the minimum requirement for considering a relationship polyamorous is if 
you consider the relationship polyamorous. Maybe ideally also all of the people involved right. in the relationship consider themselves polyamorous. But yeah. I wouldn't actually even say that's a minimum requirement. I have a partner who identifies as single and does mm -hmm. not identify as polyamorous, but he's comfortable in a relationship with me because he's not looking for an escalatory relationship and it works for us at this time it, where both of us are. Mm -hmm. So he doesn't have to consider himself to be polyamorous to be in a polyamorous relationship. And I think he would acknowledge that our relationship is polyamorous, mm -hmm. even though he isn't personally. I think the other part of this, though, is we tend to get very hung up sometimes culturally on labels. And particularly when one is exploring various aspects of ethical non-monogamy kind of early in one's journey on that front, it can be very difficult to figure out which of these labels do I really want to own. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you might, and even over time, you might evolve, you know, not just early in a, in a journey, but over decades in a journey. Mm -hmm. And I guess I would like to say that the minimum requirements are being ethical and everyone having, like, consenting to the relationship. But that doesn't always happen in polyamorous relationships. Again, it's it just like in monogamous relationships, the minimum requirement generally is like you're only with one person. That doesn't always happen. And they might still identify as monogamous, right? So, so yeah, I, I agree. I think the minimum requirement is that you identify that way or you identify your relationship that way. And that's kind of all you need. It does think, make it very vague. It does make it very open. We do get, I think, into some best practices in the um, the writer's question. Like, honesty, communication, transparency, and consent are clearly best practices. Yes. And so we certainly want to encourage those things. But if somebody is arguing with you about whether your relationship or your relationships are, or you personally are, really poly, they probably are somebody you don't want to waste your time with anyway. So right. I would say, thanks very much. Move on. <laughs> Those little insecure voices inside our own heads that we have to learn how to manage in order to navigate being in poly relationships. Mm -hmm. You know, maybe if you are going to swinging events and you can put various and sundry rules on what are you going to do this evening you can do those things without having to navigate those questions or manage your jealousy very much. But the minute any kind of human connection beyond one that's going to last 20 minutes is involved, you're going to have to deal with your jealousies. And really probably even in that context, you're going to have to deal with your jealousies because you're not both going to be at the event looking at the same person or people going, hmm, how about you? Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. you have to learn to manage your jealousy if you're going to do this. You mm -hmm. just have to. And how that looks is probably going to vary a lot from person to person. And whether you can learn to do it through self-help, through podcasts, through books, through whatever, or if you need therapy, or if you need, you know, whatever you need might look different to learn how to manage your jealousy. But learning to manage your jealousy... it. You know, back in episode one, or episode one, the first half of this episode, we were talking about what do you really need to call yourself um, Polly. And to call yourself Polly, all you need to do is call yourself Polly. But to successfully navigate anything in this universe, you do have to learn how to manage your jealousy. 
Otherwise, this is going to be a very short-lived experiment in your life. Is there a term for, like, being attracted to someone who is clearly attracted to you? Because whatever that mm. is, is me also. <laughs> like, sure, yeah. And there not always, should be a word for that. Like, I mean, I've don't get me wrong. There have been people who are, like, coming on to me strong who I was absolutely not interested in and that I was clear. I was like, yeah, no, get away like guys in bars or whatever i'm like no, sure. no no or people who i've been on dates with who are like really seem to be into me and it's not working for me uh-huh. but then it can happen sometimes where somebody that i think i'm just friends with or just a casually acquaintance with suddenly i don't know if i just turns on the charm or, right yeah. and like they are clear or someone tells me usually actually someone's like you know so and so actually told me they were into oh, you yeah. and then i'm suddenly like Oh, you are? Like, let me like, see oh, what's going on. I see you this. in a different yeah. way now. Yeah, and oh, if absolutely. I like them, I'm going to give them a shot. So I'm like, hey, to all my friends out there, if you know this is me and you were ever like, I kind of <laughs> like Jay, maybe you should just tell me because <laughs> then we might date. I don't know. Well, and you were talking about... Okay, that is the cutest thing ever. <laughs> Off air, you, you used a word about flirting. What was yes. that? Oh, yes. Yeah, so I'm an oblivious flirt. Oh, I have yeah. no clue, honestly. Like, I always just assume that everyone is being nice and friendly. I do, too. And people tell me, like, no, yeah. they were flirting with you. And I'm like, no, they I weren't. Know. That's insane. Yeah, That's I never. So stupid. And I probably have low self-esteem in the past or something where I've just assumed that, and probably, honestly, perhaps still, I think I'm great, but also, I also don't, like, necessarily always think I'm hot. So I think people want to be friends with me, sure. I'm always like, yes, everyone likes me. I'm very likable. And there are a few people who don't get along with me. I believe that and I like espouse it into the universe. I'm like, yes, true. But then if, if someone were to tell you like everyone thinks you're hot, I'm like, no, they don't. Yeah. But I mean, I have heard it from people. they would be like, oh yeah, so-and-so is really into you. I'm like, they are? What? Yeah. <laughs> so I have yeah, no clue. I, I, yeah, I kind of like go into the world being like, I love who I am. I love what I look like. I love mm-hmm. me as a person. And... Other people that love me as a person, cool. But I am not everybody's cup of tea. Right. Like I totally understand that, and I and I go into situations thinking that I think you know mm-hmm. maybe rightly or wrongly, but like probably not their cup of tea. But if I am, cool. Mm-hmm. We'll figure that out along the way. But it is difficult for me to get signs, like yeah. to figure that out. I I sometimes just have to be like. Okay, I need to lay the cards on the table. I like you and I want to have sex. <laughs> Are you down yeah. too? You know, like, like, and I've had notes. that, and I've had people do that to me too, which has been like, oh, this is so refreshing. I'm, yes. This is like what being an adult is like. I love this. Mm-hmm. Look, straightforward, honest communication. Yeah. It's so great. It's so nice. I, Maybe who knew? We should go on <laughs> dates where we just bring like little cards that say like. Are you Are sexually you? attracted? Yes or no? Yes and just or like no. Check slide unsure. Yeah. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Maybe need one. another date. Yeah. <laughs> I used to have this joke with my coworkers that like heterosexual cis vanilla sex is like the kinkiest thing I could think of. Because <laughs> I'm like, oh my god, how weird is that? <laughs> They're like, you. That's what you do. Wow, that gets you off. Whoa, that's right, so right. weird. <laughs> 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 and that's actually what's you know very funny about like Wait, you know you're lying on your back. Like, you're, you're like you mean like it's it's just PIV, <laughs> like like n- nothing else. And I'm like, yeah. <laughs> They're like, oh. <laughs> I do like the idea of trying to kind of fake it till you make it <laughs> when it comes to compersion, because some people don't feel compersion naturally. Yeah, that's like. 
like the more you like break down what thoughts you're having about jealousy the more possible it is to make it to make it i guess yeah. of like it, just like framing things differently in your mind until it it comes out as like oh actually i'm completely happy that that person is doing that with that other person and i'm not <laughs> right mm-hmm. well and i think you know if you're looking at a window of a week obviously there's no chance that things are going to be equal between two people you know newly attempting to date like mm-hmm. there's there's just no universe where that's going to be magically true but looking at a bigger picture time frame and are we both having the kind of experiences that we want to be having are we building a life and relationships that work for us over the course of six months or a year is a different question and maybe one where you get a lot closer to having a answer that is a positive answer that feels rewarding to both people but I also think you said something important about you know when you look at jealousy of somebody's off doing something else and you know sitting at home and being sad or lonely or resentful is probably the best way to give yourself a bad outcome yeah (laughs) I, I definitely do that to myself at times like it it's I try to avoid it, but if I fail at avoiding it, I get pretty dismal. <laughs> sure. Well, I think that's very human. Like, I certainly have the same experience. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. we talked about this a little bit. We had a we had a book club yesterday, and it mm-hmm. ended up being a very expansive discussion about uh, polyamory. Poly <laughs> vocab for some yes. of the people. Nice. <laughs> um, but one of the things that came up is I talked about, like, one of them was like, well, you know, but isn't it, do, do you, does everybody have to be doing the same thing? Like, does everybody have to be having the same equal. relationship? Like, if you go on a date with, with yeah. Katie on Monday, do you go on a date with Gretchen on Tuesday? And then mm. do you go on a date with so-and-so right. on Wednesday? Like, So the first part of the conversation was clearly like, no. Yeah. But I think there's also a... And if things feel really out of balance, that's not going to work very well. You know, that you've got to find some way of feeling like everybody's getting what they want and getting what they need and feeling good about the relationships that they're in. And it's not just on the person in multiple relationships. It's also on, you know, it's on all, it's on everybody to make sure that that is happening where, and that's where I think, you know, tying into that, don't sit around and be mad. It kind of comes in like, you can choose that, but it's going to produce pretty predictable outcomes. I've heard it expressed as like, relationships can be fair they don't have to be equal you know i'm not going to have another house and mortgage payment with another partner Mm -hmm. probably uh i probably also won't have children with another partner probably but i can still have a like fair in love and fair in respect relationship with another person things don't have to be equal right uh i also think that it's really important that people and i don't think that it poly or monogamous people do this well uh, is to have, like, date days with yourself. Yeah, that's... I was just thinking, um, like, the thing I've tried to do when I'm, like, wallowing in my own, like... <laughs> like, oh, why isn't everybody else doing things? Is, like, try to be productive, like, for myself. And, like, you know what? I, I need to, like, 
the laundry is boring, but like there's, there's a TV <laughs> show or movie that. that none of my partners watch that I, I'm really interested in seeing. I will take this time for myself to see it. Or um, like a project that I want to work on that I can only do myself. Like no one can help me with it. And hey, there's no obligations right now. I should do that thing for myself. I think it also promotes the idea that you should have friends, you know, like, and outside of just people who you are like, actively trying to have sex with, you know, like, <laughs> people who yeah. that's not an aspect of the relationship, who you're just friends with. Because I think that a lot of adults, and, you know, like, I think especially so in monogamous relationship, their, um, their partner becomes their best friend, and they stay with their best friend every day. And then, you know, maybe they have kids with their best friend and make other little friends. <laughs> and they never hang out with other adults again. And I think it's so important to have those friendships um, and, and actually keep up with them because that can also be a struggle to, to continue friendships and make sure that they are, you know, um, held to kind of a same weight or similar weight as uh, romantic relationships. Um, and actually, going back to a previous episode, Roxanne's episode, she talked about, mm -hmm. in part of her healing from trauma, that her therapist told her that she had to make dates with herself and stick to them. And weirdly enough, that had not occurred to me until I heard that episode. And that's actually a thing that I've been doing since then. And I realized that, like, as part of thinking about polysaturation, I needed to make sure that I had time for those dates, too. Mm -hmm. um, and that's something that's been really helpful. I actually first uh, heard about dates with yourself from the book the artist way okay did you ever read no that? oh it's a really good book i i recommend it to anyone it's kind of a more about getting like your creative juices flowing so it's really good for artists and writers and um and it's a really popular book but the like main tenets of the book are, are journaling and um like self-care days essentially i don't think she used that word because it was written 30 years ago, something like that. And like, so, um, but, uh, essentially self-care date days with yeah, yourself yeah. and journaling a lot. So, yeah. uh, and I think that both of those things, though she didn't probably mean them to are very beneficial to Polly, <laughs> Polly Emery, <laughs> because journaling has been a way that I can actually like write down my feelings and then reflect on them before I go to a partner and say like, this is what I'm feeling. Cause oftentimes I don't know how I'm feeling or I can't actually put it into words or I'm feeling some way. And then I write it down and I'm like, Oh, that's irrational. I'm not going to, yes. I'm not going to talk to them about this because that's stupid or something, you know, whatever the case may be. I definitely uh, use journaling that way to get the irrational yeah. stuff out and come to the nugget of like, what's actual stuff that needs to be talked about. And then I can have a rational conversation. Right. Cause if you can't get it out of your head, right. then it's going to come spilling out at an right. word moment. vomit yeah, yeah, uh -huh. yeah absolutely yeah <laughs> uh but then self-care days i think are also super important to i mean I, I guess finding yourself is maybe a a term that may or may not apply but like going out on dates with yourself to be able to know yourself better i think is a good way to be able to get to know other people better it's right? true like, it's absolutely true and that is it from us at Polyamory Uncensored. We have been Lindsay Miller and Katie Williams. We'd like to thank podcast husband Rob for being our sound engineer. And thank you, Lindsay, for editing this podcast so that we sound smart. You can follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Polyamory Uncensored. Contact us at polyamoryuncensored at gmail.com if you have a listener question or a comment. 
And if you'd like to support us at all, you can send us a monthly contribution at anchor.fm slash polyamoryuncensored and simply click on the support this podcast button. If you'd like to support the podcast with a one-time contribution, we've set up a PayPal link to make it super easy. Thank you for your support in any amount at paypal.me slash polyamoryuncensored. We hope you've enjoyed this episode and remember, we love you. Bye.